What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. I just got off the stage right now. I'm in Europe. I'm on tour. About to get into the UK. It's been such an amazing tour. Every show's been sold out. Crowds are going bonkers. It's fun for guitar music, guitar stuff. It's so great. I'm feeling good. I feel great about my guitar tone right now. I, I sometimes struggle with guitar versus uh, live versus studio. I always like my studio tone better for whatever reason. I think it's uh, with live, I like my amps to be a certain level to sound great. And I don't like pushing them that much. I like them super clean, but some amps, they handle clean better than others. And right now I'm using a set of backline amps that they just get dirtier as the day goes on. So I've been experimenting with using the Archetype Cory Wong plugin from Neural DSP, and it is my favorite guitar tone ever. I promise you, favorite clean guitar tone, and it takes overdrives well, using all these effects and stuff on tour, it's great. If you're not hip to the Archetype Cory Wong plugin, I'm gonna tell you right now, I will guarantee it. I'm just gonna do it right now. I'm gonna guarantee it. Best clean tone you're ever gonna get. It's my promise, that's my promise to you. Uh, go, go try it yourself, there's a free trial. I don't know, you take, take my word for it or not. You know who also loves that plugin? Daniel Donato, today's guest, good friend of mine. I started seeing him years ago. I've been kind of splitting my time between Minneapolis and Nashville the last several years. And when I was first starting to kind of semi-live in Nashville in 2014, 15 or something, I remember hearing about this cat. It's like, dude, go down to Roberts. You gotta check, this kid is shredding. I did, my mind was blown. That person was Daniel Donato. It has been great to just kind of see his growth and become friends together and, you know, be able to uh, just see how he's developed as an artist and as a guitar player over the years. It's really fun to see somebody who's really deep in music and just really has a deep connection to music that I that I love. And it's great. It's fun to jam with. We get into it. It's great. So thanks for hanging out with us today. Like I said, I'm feeling good. I'm in Europe right now, heading to the UK. I guess by the time this comes out tomorrow, I'll be in the UK. And hopefully I'll see some of you on tour. Anyways, I'm not gonna hold you up any longer. Daniel Donato. Hey, you guys know about DistroKid yet? If you are an artist, musician, somebody who's trying to get your music on Spotify, Apple Music, all of those things, DistroKid is a digital distributor that can get your music on all of those platforms. It's the easiest, fastest way to do so, with accounts even just starting at $19.99 a year per artist. So for me, I have several albums out. I just pay one amount for the year. For all the Corey Wong albums, I just pay one amount, and DistroKid takes 0% royalty. 100% of the royalties come straight to me. Or you use their Teams feature where you can dedicate a certain percentage to one member of your band, a certain percentage to the other, or one of your collaborators. I do this sort of thing, it works amazing. DistroKid is who I use for my albums and it has worked great for me. The stuff gets up there fast. They have a smart ISRC thing. I don't have to worry about coming up with my own codes, registering a lot of the stuff. They just have that. And they also have these really cool design tools. If you are not very design savvy, they'll help you come up with assets for social media and other things to help promote your album. And if you wanna use them, you can use my VIP code. Just go distrokid.com slash VIP slash Corey Wong and you get 30% off. How about that? Check them out, DistroKid. All right, let's hit this episode. Well, Daniel, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Good to see you today, bro. It's been a minute. Thank you for having me, Corey. I've always wanted to do this podcast. I've been listening since the first season. And yes. I've been listening to you for years now. Must be 10 years, at least. Wow. Well, we've been hanging out and jamming out in Nashville. We won't tell people where our spots are because... We don't want to, we, you know, sometimes it's nice to have a little safe haven of jamming. Yeah, it's hard with everybody <laughs> know already, so it's probably Yeah, fun. I know. It's <laughs> But man, we've had some fun jams out there. Oh, yeah, man. I remember the the one night when we got to jam with the house band and what was going on. And uh, man, I learned so much from you that night. And I was reminded of, of a really great value from you that night, which was... Uh, it was you and I that were just playing guitar, and I think there was a bass player, a keys player, and maybe like a sax player, and then Pitar was playing. 
and nobody knew what to play. And you were like, uh, you, just play, just play. And you started hitting like a, like yeah, some sort of a, sounds about right. Of a yeah. James Brown E chord of some kind. And you just went for it, man. And there was just this marvelous amount of abandon. And I just loved it. Uh, and I, I will always remember that jam very well. I always tell people about it because we were just playing See Here Now. And I think we were playing. Yep. Uh, different days. I think that's yeah, what we were on. I was on the day before you. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's the sort of thing though. I mean, I know, I mean, I'm so familiar with your music as well. And I'm, I'm familiar with what you do in your background. And there's a certain thing where it's like, okay, I know what this cat is capable of. Sometimes you just need to let them get out on the court and play, you know, like, all right, here's the game. Here's how it goes. I know you're athletic. You'll figure it out. You'll see, oh, that's, oh, oh, we're going that way. That's the goal. Oh, like, are we shooting to, to the goal? Oh, cool. I know how to shoot things into goals. Yeah. You know, like, it's one of those, or like, okay, we're on ice skates and there's a puck. Oh, it's the same as soccer. Like, you know, like, I got to figure out how to skate, but I'll do it <laughs> yeah. or whatever. You know, so when we were at that jam, I knew, I mean, I'm so familiar with your stuff as well. It was like, all right. Let's just play. And sometimes that's what it takes. It just takes somebody to be assertive enough to say, okay, we're going to do this. And then one of us will cue us or guide us to the next place. And since I got this thing started, I'll take responsibility for now until somebody else wants to do it or or steps up and then they can do it. And, and that sort of thing also requires a certain amount of respect for each other and a certain amount of letting go of any ego, like, I'm the one that started this. I'm going to guide us in the gym. It's like, no, I'm just going to get us going. And if you take us somewhere, I remember you started going in a direction that was like, oh, cool. Yeah. All right, let's go there. And, and you started doing something that kind of inspired us to change the way that we were grooving on something. And then it led down a different way. And that sort of thing, the, that heavy listening and playing and reacting in the moment is so huge. Oh, man, integrating the, integrating the ego is kind of, I think, the one of the forever endeavors that they're really... Sure. Is one of the great opportunities you have as a musician, um, especially one that uh, wants to play with other people. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, I really love upping the ante often when it comes to moments like that, because I, I think when you're, when you switch the gear of what you're operating on from the gear of licks and memorized information to the gear of intuitive, faithful response, it's a whole different frequency that's emitted. Uh, from the hands and from the soul. And yeah. it's it's just one of my favorite things to do is to just really get up there and not really know what's happening. Because I think that's really reflective of life in a lot of ways. You don't yeah. really know what's going to happen. Like you get to the gig and and you, you have the set rehearsed and all that, but there's a lot of information that happens th that affects you emotionally and intellectually that you just don't know is Mm -hmm. You know, and, and some of those variables are great to have influence you, man. And I, you know, I love those. And I think you do a fantastic job of, of having that variable in with your band. You guys have this brilliant duality of rehearsed, really tight, machine-like uh, fluidity. And then there's great moments of, of just letting it rip and then having it uh, fly. And I know you talk yeah. a lot about, um, you talk a lot about having confidence, even in, uh, simplicity when it comes to your attack or when it comes to uh, whatever it is that you're playing. And I, I love that, man. I, I, I think that's a, I think that's a very valuable approach. And uh, yeah, man, when we saw you at, at see here now, I was, I was taken aback. It was my, my favorite set that I saw all week. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, absolutely. That was a fun one. That was great. I actually, I saw you, this uh, will, this will dive us into, continue this conversation, but, uh, I, I saw you at jazz fest in new Orleans a few months back. I was vibing, bro. I was out there. I was hanging. I was with some friends, man. It was, uh, it was so much fun, dude. I was vibing that night. Was that at, uh, was that the night Bill Kreutzman and George Porter Jr. sat in? Yes, dude. Yeah. That night was crazy, man. That was a, that was one of the more wild gigs I've ever had in my, uh, 14 years of playing shows. Dude, it was so fun. And I could tell you were so happy. You were so happy. And I loved seeing that. I mean, I've seen you play and you you always have a good time when you're playing. But I could tell there was this genuine joy and there was this, this air of, 
what's going to happen yeah. in what you do. And, you know, just like you're saying, a lot of what I do, it's very calculated and arranged because it needs to, like when I have a 10 piece band, you know, like it needs to be heavily arranged. And then we have these jumping points where it goes off into anywhere. And then there's landing points, you know? And I noticed that you have a lot of the same thing, but when you're bringing in new musicians, when you're, when you're bringing in heroes like this, like we're talking about on this gig, where do you... Where do you guide and then where do you just let things happen in the in those kind of shows? I think the music really answers that a lot. Uh pretty consistently the music does. Um mm-hmm. there is a great advantage to the gig that night, uh, based on the fact that the Cosmic Country is just a four-piece band by design. Um yeah. it's kind of metaphorical to like the the completion of the square. Sure. Um whereas opposed to like uh you know uh, bigger bands uh, the way that my imagination most readily finds itself being applied is within smaller bands i don't know what that is it probably is due to the fact that i played just hundreds of shows uh down at robert's western world with a four-piece honky-tonk band and and that's yeah. kind of just where a lot of my imagination finds itself in in a format um so the advantage there is was there's this duality, the, uh, it, it, uh, a great concept versus explore versus exploit. And um, we do it all the time as humans. Like when if you go to a restaurant uh, that you've been to maybe five times, if you're someone like me, you'll probably end up getting the same thing. So mm-hmm. you have a lot of decisions that you encounter throughout your day in which you're going to exploit uh, an option or a path that you've already pursued. Um, but then there's also points in the day throughout which you explore. And those are really valuable as well. So I find the music kind of tells me intuitively on when to exploit and when to explore. And it's not exploiting negatively. I don't. I don't want that word to have a negative uh, shadow totally. connotation. But yeah, it's it's more or less just going with the pocket and letting things simmer and letting things percolate and letting space build and having faith in the space. And then the options to explore really just make themselves very well known if you're listening. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so it's really not as calculated and strategic as much as it is just like an uh, integrated, intuitive response. I think that's probably just come through years of doing it, really. Totally. How do you go about, how do you go about doing that? Because you have such a great way of having a signature experience, even aesthetically with what you do, you have a signature experience. Uh, So there's a, there's a fair amount of, of an expo- of exploit going on, but if someone listens to your records uh, with the vast output that you have, um, <laughs> you know there's a fair amount of explore going on there. So how do you go about uh, dancing with that duality? I think with me, I'm just constantly chasing what's fun and exciting to me, yeah, as a person and as a musician, and then also, you know, what I try to do as well with my live show and and everything that I'm doing is I try to make it really feel intentional. You know, a lot of people, when they do an album release, it's just kind of, eh, I'm just putting out songs, but I try to have an, an entire package with it. So, you know, I'll make a variety show that goes along with it. And we record everything live on set of the show. That's part of the album. It's like a whole thing that goes with it for the album. That's a one vision. And sometimes I take that and I, I bring it over to the live thing. In certain cases, I wish I could have done that better where I brought the live show or the variety show set on the road, but it was just, it's way too long to set up and tear down. Um, but as far as a live show, there's a lot of things that you can really telegraph to the audience that we are intentional and we care about what we do. Like you're saying, sometimes aesthetically, it's like, I, I will... I go online and I'm our bands. Uh, actually, it was funny because I've been stepping up my game in it a little bit, just watching and paying attention a little more. Jack Stratton from Wolfpack was like, dude, you started hanging out with Nile Rogers. What did you hire? A, did you hire his stylist now? He's like, dude, you've been hanging out with Nile. Now you got a stylist for your band. I'm like, no, dude. Like, I, I just, I, I got inspired. I'm doing this myself. He's like, man, this is, this looks so cool. So there's an intentionality with, just making it look like it belongs together. Yes. You know, so I, I have the band all in in one type of outfit and then I have a complimentary outfit. It's it's so 
there's certain things that I want to wear on stage where I'm like, oh, it'll clash with the band though, because they're kind of these muted, darker green color things right now. So I'm going to wear something that fits in that category and it's fall. So it kind of feels like it's fall-ish, yeah, yeah. you know? So the intentionality of just the way that we present ourselves and then musically, yeah. there's a lot of, okay, we're going to do things that feel like, oh my gosh, this is very arranged and that, and yeah. then trying to make it so the exploration feels you don't know where the line of exploration or arranged things right. starts and ends. That's where it gets really interesting. And that to me is the space that I'm exploring right now is now that my band has been playing together for so long, there's 10 of us where it's like, okay, you got a lot of history together. And especially a few of us went to college together. So I, it, there's this like telepathic thing happening yeah. where we'll start getting into something and we just know exactly where we're going to go. Yeah. And Maybe it's one of the horn players is is exploring wherever, but then there, as a rhythm section, we're going to take it somewhere that all of a sudden feels, Some sometimes the horn section is even like, dude, when did you guys work that out? Right. There was a couple shows where like, dude, how did you guys, when did you plan that? Did you guys rehearse that yeah. in the, it's like, no, dude, that just happened behind you. Yeah, we, yeah. we just did it, you know? So that's the kind of space that I'm exploring now is how do you kind of create in the moment? And it requires a certain kind of listening and a certain set of ears that are going to know, okay, you played this line. Are you going to repeat it? Is there going to be a variation? Do I just play the first three bars of it and let you take the fourth bar? And then it's it's just kind of trusting that whole thing. And then, and then you know, maybe four or five repetitions in, boom, we're locked and all of a sudden it feels it seamlessly found its way there. Yeah, but well, th that's the thing. Like, the, the, uh, even on the geometry of music, it's really fascinating because, mm -hmm. you know, I find with the four-piece band, I can play something for, man, some nights, if we're four nights in, if we're f three or four nights into a run, I can play something for one bar and Nathan will know exactly what it is and he'll already play the harmony a bar later. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, then, and then drums and bass are doing something complementary to add subdivisions to that and or match the timbre or mm -hmm. the, perhaps the philosophic uh, destiny of that idea. And mm -hmm. uh, man, I, you know, you mentioned having trust. I, I think trust is one of the biggest things that I really, I read a lot of books about music uh, when I was in my, um, embryotic stage of development you know i was living with my parents i was a teenager and you know you're waking up every day and and i was playing eight to twelve hours a day and gigging four days a week and i was just consuming everything and going over to you know brett mason's house or johnny highland's house to take lessons and and you know listening to old bob wills records and learning solos note for note and I was just consuming all this information and the one thing that i i was really not getting from a lot of uh, information that I was either talking to people about or reading in books was the concept of faith and trust uh, being applied to what you're playing. And yeah. that is such a key variable uh, to actually creating something that's alive on stage because music is alive. Uh, mm -hmm. You can have crystallized uh, vehicles of, of arrangement that are absolutely beautiful, truthful, and good that are very necessary. But to have those moments of what you talked about with the horn section, that, that alive moment. And, you know, when I see, when you guys are on tour and I read some of the comments on Instagram, uh, every now and then there'll be people talking about certain sections in songs. We're like, man, I've never heard them do that before, you know? And yeah. those, I, what I think that is, is I think that there's something that happens where it's alive and it's alive through the idea that everybody's listening and creating it on the spot. And that is like the true high wire, uh, high yield reward, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes music is an ETF. Sometimes it's like a S&P 500 <laughs> ETF and you'll get a 5% return and it's, you know, exactly what you're getting into. But sometimes it's kind of a cryptocurrency and it could be a very volatile investment, but you could get a high return on the moment. And uh, I mean, I, that's what I live for. Are, are, are those moments. And, and that's a big ethos in the cosmic country is, is, is trying to serve those moments, really. <clears throat> I love that. Talk to me a little bit about cosmic country because I, I've seen you develop over the years and I've seen you explore. I mean, I remember, I actually remember maybe 2013, 2014, when I was first, when I first got a place in Nashville, in Inglewood, 
first spot when I was, you know, I, I, for a lot of years have split my time between Minneapolis and Nashville. And somebody was like, dude, you got to go to Roberts. There's this kid that's just shredding yeah. down there. There's this kid ripping. And I remember going down one day, just like, freaking A, man. I love the internet. Like this, this kid probably wouldn't exist without the internet being the, like, you know, it's one of those things where the internet exists and then it, it shows kids that something is possible. And then you see some nine-year-old like, oh yeah, like I, I saw somebody else do this on the internet. So I just decided that I was going to do it. Like, wow. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and, you know, you, you had some great mentors and obviously you have great drive. It's, it was insane to see, but then seeing you kind of explore the jam thing. And now what I love seeing about Cosmic Country, I want you to tell me a little about this, is you have this beautiful intersection between country and jam. Yeah. And you're, you have all the country repertoire, you have all of the, the vernacular, all of the licks, you know, all of that stuff's there, so much so that you're not thinking about it anymore, now you just make it your own. You have all of the jam history, you have all of that influence that you've studied, and it's very clear that you're so deep inside of it that it's not about licks, it's now just expression. And you're taking those two things and you're putting them together, country and jam. Yeah. And it's done in a really cool way. Tell me about how you came to that thing and what really, what really is the vision for it? Well, I think the vision for Cosmic Country is <clears throat> kind of this duality between songs, the truth, and exploration. And at a live show, it's a very, it's a, a very danceable, collective, inclusive experience. Where something yeah. is happening every night that's never happened before and won't ever happen again because it's it's outside of our conscious control to do that. Um, and so I think that's probably where the ethos of improvisational music finds itself coming mm -hmm. in cosmic country. But I'm from Nashville and I, I love songs and I've always written songs and I've always served the song. That was that's the yeah. first thing you learn as a player yeah. um, in Nashville when you go to get work. And, yeah. you know, you got to serve the song. And, and you, you know, it doesn't matter how many licks you have as a telly player. If you go to step into a session, uh, you know, you have a 10 to 2 session and then you have a 2 to 6 and then you go play a gig at night. You're going to see that on the sessions, it's about serving the melody and it's about serving the lyrics of the song. And, yes, you know, that's the thing. And so those, those philosophies were kind of just always alive in my heart and soul as a player and um it when cosmic country started to come into form that's when they started to really uh come alive into my music mm -hmm. but the vision for it man is to is to for us to just write as as, as many songs as we can that are as, as effective for our live show mm -hmm. and uh play as long as we can uh everything about it is is about the living truth and experience of the music our, our whole thing is about the live show um yeah um, we made, we just made a, a great record with Vance Powell that I'm really. Yeah, dude, I heard it. Oh, right on. Oh, I got a copy. I, your manager sent me a copy. We're about oh. to get there. Good. Oh yeah, bro. That, I, that record I feel is, is probably the most high resolution, uh, artifact of where we're at today with Cosmic Country and, and where it's at. But it's a yes. living thing. It's it's not any. It's like what Bob Dylan said. It's like it's not about arriving anywhere. It's about a, a, a perpetual act of creation. Mm. You know, which is what you're a great embodiment of. Uh, you're constantly just having output of new ideas, and I, I can see you painting on the wall in real time the things sure. that inspire you. Uh, yeah. it, it, and Cosmic Country is my vehicle for that. It's yeah. it's this kind of weird thing. It's like it's like funk. Heavy Pocket, James Brown meets Bob Wills and Hank Williams, mm -hmm. uh, Cosmic Country. Uh, it, it, it really is, I'm really proud of where we're at, man, because I really feel like we just have our own frequency going on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. And I mean, I hear the influence in the in the writing. There's, I hear certain influences. I hear certain influences in the playing, in the way you harmonize guitar parts, it's it's yeah. so cool, man. This new record is great. I was going to ask you about this because you had a record that was produced by Robin Ford, and then you have Vance Powell on this one. Yeah. I'm curious because a lot of guitar players and a lot of a lot of young musicians in general don't really understand the role of producer, and the role of a producer looks so different for 
kind of our generation and the generation previous to us? Because nowadays, producers are kind of expected to do everything. I know sometimes when I get hired to produce an album, it's like, oh, yeah, you oh, you wanted me to mix and master this too? Oh, you wanted me to engineer the whole thing? Okay, like, sure, I can do that, but let's just talk about what the role is. <laughs> I'm curious. I mean, because it's so different to everybody. When you're hiring a producer, when you have somebody like Vance Powell, who's hilarious, by the way. Gosh, I had a great weekend with Vance down at UA, oh, at, at Universal Audio, a um, couple years ago. With Vance, and then when, when you have Robin Ford producing the records, right. what are you looking for in a producer, and what is it that they draw out of you that you wouldn't be able to do without them? That's a fantastic question. I, I, a lot of people that I come in contact with that are creators of music that are around my age and your age is that they have tried to produce and have successfully produced their own music at one point in time. Sure. Um, but the thing for me was <clears throat> when I did that, I was pretty much instantly aware of that, of the reality of, I don't really, I wasn't, I, at least where I'm at today and where I was then was I'm not really ready to, to produce my own music in full. Mm, I'm much sure. more of a co-producer where I yeah. really do have a great vision and connection to where, where the feeling needs to be and, and where the mm -hmm. songs need to end up on some level. Um, so when the time came to do a record that I wasn't producing, it was really funny because I'd written in my notebook that I wanted to do a record in about three months one day. And uh, like a couple days later, uh, Robin Ford called me randomly on the phone. And he had seen this video of me playing in uh, somewhere in North Carolina, might have been like Charlotte or something, at the Evening Muse. Um, and we got into the studio and made this record together. And uh, that was just an absolutely fantastic experiential endowment for me. Um, I'd always loved Robin Ford because I'm a big Mike Bloomfield fan. Yeah. And he loves Mike Bloomfield and he loves all the old blues and all that. And and the thing about Robin is if when Robin steps into a room, the frequency of the room kind of changes because he kind of has this radiation poisoning of all this greatness that he's been around. <laughs> Uh, you know, he was at the Fillmore West watching Jimi Hendrix play for $2.50, like putting his, you know, beer on stage, like while Jimmy was playing. Yeah. You know, so it's like, he's just seen everything. He's played with George Harrison and played with Joni Mitchell, and he's put out all of his own records and worked with Keith Richards and Steve Jordan, and, you know. Um, so working with him as a producer was really more of a traditional producer role where the producer's not even really mixing. Mm -hmm. Uh you know, it, it, um, the, the producer's more or less just kind of this abstract forest guide, if you will. Yeah. Um, and Robin did a fantastic job on that. So what the whole deal with that record was we were going to cut everything live and we were going to do it direct to tape. And when the take was right, Robin was going to call it and we were going to break for lunch. Yeah. And I really loved that experience and I got a lot out of it. And, and then what happened was um, the COVID-19 pandemic happened and touring was stalled for the better part of a year in one month and then i started putting together the cosmic country band in the way that it is now and then mm -hmm. we ended up doing about 160 shows in the course of about 12 months and then we went and cut a record with vance powell and th that whole experience was exactly what i wanted out of a producer artist relationship um, yeah, Vance is, is about as high frequency as you can get. Um, mm -hmm. cause he, he really, he's worked, he works with Chris Stapleton. He works with Trey Anastasio. He works with Jack White and he, a bunch of other artists, but most notably those three are such big influences on me and they kind of are all so different, but they yeah. all, their spirit of what they do is so alive in what I do that he was kind of the only guy that, that I saw that was the right mindset for the task yeah and his whole thing was just fantastic so what vance does is vance mixes yeah and vance has an assistant that he has a really good workflow with and mm -hmm. he has a dojo uh, of his studio at sputnik sound that is just completely fantastic yeah another thing vance does is he's kind of a black sheep when it comes to nashville to where he works with bands a lot like yeah. there, there's not a lot of uh <clears throat> There's not a lot of bands in Nashville compared to the percentage of uh, artists that work with session bands in Nashville. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm not to say that there's not a lot of bands, but just percentage-wise, it's 
it's it's asymmetrical. And um, Vance has uh, he's very flexible and he's very fun, and he can understand that personality isn't a weakness on yeah. any level. You know, stylistic inflection is something that's you know necessary when you're making a record that's a a band. And I view a band is. You know, it's very much alive with with your band. Is a band is kind of like a a constellation of stars, if you will, where you can mm-hmm. look at any single given star and be like, "Oh man, I you know I could gaze at that all day." But if you look at the constellation, the the, the collective quality of all those stars, you kind of arrive at a one plus one equals three thing. Mm. And and Vance was really able to set up the environment in the trip to make sure that that was elevated, and that was just so fantastic. And uh, man, he's he's just really, I think, as good as it gets at what he does. Yeah, very different different relationship between the producer role with Vance and the one with Robin. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, the thing about Vance was he didn't really he, he would spend time getting into the trenches when it made sense, and then he was very stern about not spending time on things when it didn't make sense. It was just yes. kind of a, a young man's worried tendency about something sure yeah you know, you know, uh, you know it, the tom fill wasn't too hard in in the in the bridge you don't have to sweat it you don't have to lose sleep over it. <laughs> you know? like, yeah <laughs> you know or if you know i meant to bend up to the g sharp but it was just kind of a g and we're in we're in the key of e and yeah vance is like you know no one's gonna worry about that daniel that no yeah. one's gonna know it doesn't matter those kinds sometimes of you need somebody like that like when you're first making records you don't know is this going to bug me in five years? And you need somebody who's made that risk reward or made that calculation hundreds of times. Be like, I promise you, you're not going to worry about this one in five years. This one you are. Let's fix that. This one, you're not going to hear it in five years. Just let's move on. Vince had a good one. Because there's this thing, like all these Nashville session cats, like it's so funny. Like I did so many sessions and I would go and just be a fly on the wall when I was a teenager at all these like big sessions, man. And these guys, have, you know, they play with George Jones and they play with Merle Haggard and they, they play with Hank Jr. And they're all these, played to 50,000 people, on, you know, 500,000 a year salary, Ritz Carlton bus gigs, you know. And they show up to the session in like New Balance shoes and Wrangler jeans with like a can of, with like a, a pack of Camel Reds. And uh, they just have all these like really self-degrading jokes <laughs> that yeah. they'll say in between <laughs> takes. And Vance was Vance is so steeped in the culture of Nashville. He's been doing it for so long. He kind of had that self degrading, intentional comedic approach to the yeah. act of creation. And I remember once, just to close the loop on this point, I we were cutting a solo, I think, on High Country, and I was like an, an hour into composing this idea on it, and uh, I got to the last take of it, and I was like, Vance, what do you think about that? He goes. Uh, nothing career ending. <laughs> I like that. He was like, that, like that. that everything. He has this really great way of, of kind of having a, it's very uh, Eastern Zen in a certain way where he, he'll, it's kind of like a parable almost like, well, he'll, he'll have something to say and it'll mean 20 things. Yeah, know? sure. Yeah. I uh, love that. Yeah, man. So tell me a little bit about how you approach making sure that i mean because you know every time you get up to play and every time whether it be joining in a jam on a wednesday night with me and my band or me and some of my friends somewhere or whether it be your own band or getting up with someone else you've been a part of so many different things that have gone really well and you've been a part of a lot of jams that have been ah why didn't that work or something wasn't something didn't happen what do you notice are some of the things that really make a jam session or a solo something something some spur of the moment thing? What do you what do you feel like are the key elements to making it work and what do you notice always makes it not work? <laughs> yeah. Well, last night we we had we I personally thought we had a gig that was not the best. Um so there was a lot of moments last night where there was uh I can recall at least three moments where I was really frustrated with what was happening and I just wasn't digging it and it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was coming alive. But I, I, I think the things that make it work are a- alignment 
and everything that comes from alignment. Uh, so if you have a mental alignment with everybody who's on stage with you and you understand the vision of what it is, of what you're showing up for and what you're trying to bring into existence, then you have alignment with playing, you have alignment of intention, and you have alignment of listening with each other. So I think that having alignment and then having listening all happening at the same time with everybody on stage, as simple as that may sound, it's incredibly not simple. Yeah. Um, I had a great endowment of, of, of experience when I first started gigging by playing with musicians that were in their 50s and 60s all the time. I, I wasn't playing with anybody my age. And yeah. then when I would go and play with people my age, I noticed that the experience was just emotionally <laughs> yeah, uh, such a uh, antithesis uh, to what to oh, yeah. you know. And so I, you know, I think listening and alignment are the two biggest things, man. And I, I notice a lot of cats that are younger um, that that's a little bit harder to do, mm -hmm. uh, you know. But I was really lucky, man, because I just had mentors that kind of. Uh, you know, snapped me into the idea of serving the song and serving the pocket and being intentional with what you're listening for and what you're playing. And, and that really creates it. So I would say the variables are, are really obvious. You know, I go and sit in with some bands like on that Wednesday night show or the Sunday night show in East Nashville, the jam there. Yeah. And you can hear when people aren't listening and it's just a total mess. And it, it people are in their own world. If you're not listening, then you're in your own yeah. world. And then there's multiple worlds happening. And the whole idea of a great band is that there's one world that kind of happens in, in the context of the show. That's what a great band does, is it creates a, 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 a collective, inclusive environment for everybody to exist in. And so yeah. it's inclusive, big, gelatinous consciousness experience of everybody in the room. And, uh, you know, you, you're not going to get that without alignment and listening. And man, I got to be honest, a lot of it comes from the drummer. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> it really Boy, do I know. The drummer, man. <laughs> man, you're catching me on a you're catching me on a sour day regarding that note. Not but not this isn't with Pitar. Well, I had plenty of years of that with Pitar. I like tell. I said, we we went to, we went to college together. So I, we've had, we've whooped each other into shape in a lot of ways, but I'm still always sometimes he'll just he'll throw something in and I'll look at him and be like, "Yeah, yeah, oh, sorry." I've seen it happen, man. <laughs> You don't, you don't get it. To, you don't get it to and for. You don't get it to and for. That sounds like Corey's and Patars without going through some shit together. There's just no. You need. There has to be that love and experience there with each other. That's it. Yeah, dude. I was just on a gig though. I I can't put anybody on blast here. Yeah. But I, I. It was th this exact same. This exact thing you're talking about, where we all get together. Oh, I know what you're talking about. And. This cat just decides, yeah. yo, uh, here's my chance. I'm going to let everybody know how good I am. Right. It's like, hold up, bro. Hold up, bro. Somebody's singing the verse, right? Just let him finish the verse, dude. Let him finish the verse before you go. Like, just, just, just wait, please. <laughs> or just like, wait until bar eight. Let yeah. it all out in bar eight. You don't have to do bar six, seven, eight, and bars one, two, and three of the next phrase. It's like, oh. what the... Oh no 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 please oh yeah and then sometimes I'll, I'm just like all right well I guess I'll just piss off I'm gonna stop playing because there's so much going on that I, I I can't like what I'm contributing now all of a sudden makes it all, all of a sudden the actual part of the song feels wrong yeah so I'm just gonna piss off for a second until you're done okay you're done here we go I'm gonna come back in now oh, oh are we done with that now okay yeah let's it's like you're at the playground and some. Some schmuck, like everybody's going down the slide the right way, but some schmuck decides to like bring his bike up the slide. It's like, bro, what are you like? We, first off, <laughs> oh, yeah. like, this, there's a flow to the slide, man. There's a flow to the slide. What are you doing? Like you're bringing your bike up the slide yes, and you're slipping down while you're doing it. You're not, you don't even have balance. What are you going to do with the bike when you get up there? It's, it's you know? Isaac Newton, brother. It's literally, it's physics, man. You know, you got to go with gravity. I like how you said schmuck too. That reminds me of my, of my Eastern European Jewish roots and growing up with my, <laughs> in my household. And I met my mom driving to school, uh, you know, listening to Dave Matthews. Oh, look at this schmuck in front of us. You know, <laughs> sobbing on his brakes. That's a good word. <laughs> I like Dude, that. you, you grew up on DMB? Oh, well, man, I grew up on... The so the first time I ever saw music visually 
was when I was living in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, and my dad had just gotten his first software engineering job. <clears throat> and um, he adopted me when he married my mom when he was 27, mm-hmm. and he needed to – and then they got pregnant with my sister, and he was working – uh, you know, two jobs as, as a server in New Jersey. And like, you know, even then at the time, um, where the economy was, that was a big stretch for him. Um, so he had to figure out how to make more money. And, um, he got this software engineering job. And I remember I would hang out in the basement with him and he had, we had this big TV and, uh, he would play two concerts on the TV on mute. Uh, and the two concerts were listener supported. Oh yeah. Fantastic. Yes. My favorite version of Dave Matthews band. And um not to say what's going on now is an absolutely alive and fantastic, but that was my favorite uh, uh hypothesis or whatever it was. And uh Steve Ravel on live at Elma Combo. You know, yeah, and I remember specifically sitting down with a cig hanging out of his mouth playing Lenny, Lenny the ash t- going into oblivion. He's not ashing I'm- that thing. That ash is going into his teeth. <laughs> well, that was the moment. I would I would rev- I would rev- I would rewind <laughs> that moment all the time and listen to it, man. Or just watch him. Because he's so yes. sweaty too. Probably because yeah. he's doing all this blow and he's not sleeping. And he was really unhealthy in all these ways. And you know, um, you know, it is, I, the, I remember that moment very specifically having a big effect on me. You know, and I didn't even think about playing guitar then, man. Uh, I was, you know, four years old, five years old. Yeah. Um, you know, but I remember watching that and I remember watching Carter Beaufort on Daddy. number 41 on the intro, hitting the hi hats. And I remember watching the hi hats were so glistening and so clean. And he just had this ninja like. Uh, just years of experience going on in his hands. And even at five or six years old, I, I could sense the technical patternistic mastery of his execution. And I was really drawn to that uh, even then. So yeah, you know, not to, not to, not to go off there, but actually that kind of relates to what you're saying because it's all about the drummer is like, get, you, show me a better example of a relationship of, of a consistent drummer to a band Yeah, in a modern sense, aside from maybe, you know, John Fishman, to sure. fish but but dave you know carter beauford to dave matthews band you don't have that band without carter beauford in his gloves that he's wearing That's right dude you don't but have it. Car- carter i mean a lot of people carter's a controversial drummer because yeah. a lot of people you know especially in nashville it's like a, a serve the song sort of thing but it's like yeah. carter serves the band dude Carter, that thing is part of the thing. Like that's so much of what the magnetism of that band is, you know, and yeah. it is appropriate because it's Carter in DMB. You, yeah. you don't want you don't want that on the Jason Aldean record, maybe, you know. You but don't. you you know, so whatever. By the way, since we're talking DMB, I Steely Dan is back in in the good graces of society. Steely Dan is cool again. I've been with the Dan the whole time. Some of my friends and I have tried to express this. I want everybody to know we've been with the Dan the whole time. Okay, I'm a Steely Dan nut. I'm going to go on record. You don't need to do this. DMB is coming back around. There's a time. DMB was king forever. Then it was like, why are cats hating on DMB? Cats have been hating on DMB for years. I'm going to go on record saying I've held my stock in Dave this whole time. Okay, I've been going to Dave concerts for the last 20 years. All right, I'm huge into Dave. I'm down... I'm down with every iteration of of the DMB band. I'm down with Coffin. Okay, Coffin is dope. Oh yeah. All right. I'm down with all the cats, dude. I am down with Dave. I'm going on record. I've been with them the whole time. Dave is going to come back around. He's going to be cool again um, across all generations. And I want you guys to know, I've been with them the whole time. I've been really? with them the whole time. And welcome back. No, no shade here. No. No, I'm 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 not on a high horse. I'm just saying, welcome back, cats. He's been dope the whole time. I'm sorry that you forgot for a minute. I'm sorry <laughs> that you forgot for a minute. Yeah, it's not Dave. It's it's them. Or if it, or exactly, or, or, it's, it's not. not Dave. Yeah. it's not Dave. It's them, dude. It's them. Here's the thing. I don't think Dave actually, in a commercial sense, ever went away. Because when I went and saw Dave, I think he might. Oh, he's been, still huge. You know, I saw him in 2017, 2018 at Bridgestone Arena. And I was driving to the concert that night and they were playing his song on Lightning 100. And he was the second fastest sellout of that arena that year next to Justin Bieber. Now we're talking. See, that's what I'm saying, dude. 
I don't think Dave, you know, commercially ever went away. It's almost like I know, I know, I know, I know. But there's that. That's part of the vision I have with Cosmic Country. Is like, you know, he doesn't exist inside the in the music business in a in this uh, in a political way. Like he's not going up. He's not like accepting awards and like thanking the Academy and like you know tagging Louis Vuitton on his Instagram post and, and for the red carpet shoes that he wore that night. Like, that's not what he, he just does what he does. And they have a community that, that brings to life what it is that they're doing. And they exist in this really vibrant, alive way. And, and Jimmy Buffett was kind of that way, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's really fascinating to see that where it's like, you don't have to necessarily exist inside the mechanistic, uh, external, aesthetic world of the music business in order to have a successful career in music you know you can kind of just have your community and you guys do what you do and you bring to life what you bring to life and that is at whatever scale it is you know he's marvelous with that you know incredible yeah i i can sense so here's the thing too about serving the song is i think the song is a vehicle for a, a spirit on some level um in the energy and spirit of you know that first live record with ants marching was oh yeah and it might be 16 bars of just two and four from carter that is serving the song because the spirit and energy of that song at least in my opinion is served through that energy of what he's playing you know and he I'm very much like Dave in that way where I, I, I need players that are very like spiritually and emotionally vulnerable and willing to do things that are abstract and out of left field and maybe come up with parts that wouldn't be intuitive. We're a lot of uh, modern country production, which is really kind of like Rick Rubin, Tom Petty, wildflower sounding production, which is beautiful, but it's not like honky tonk country with like Willie Cantu from Buck Owens band or Richie Albright from Waylon Jennings band or Willie Nelson and Paul. Um, that kind of country music is, is very different, man. And it's very much like alive and, in pocket wise consistent to, to that of funk music. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I identify with that kind of out of left field, thing and that and how that can still serve the song i mean you do that really well man and patar serves the song too it's you know but he's not doing simple things uh you know he is a lot of the time but a lot of the time too he's doing these just ridiculous ideas that i've never heard anybody except him play and that still serves the experience on on some level yeah the music calls for it it does yeah and that's that's when it's appropriate is when the music calls for it i have a question for you um, that I was really wanting to ask you, because I feel like you do this really, you do this in a way that I would like to see myself grow into. But I, I think the question on how to get there is, how do you organize your ideas and further your visions? Do you sit down and write out ideas into like a notepad or a file and, and did you further visions there? What's your process for kind of collecting ideas and and, uh, developing them deeper and organizing them? I think first off, I compartmentalize them into different worlds, I guess, or different planets. Like one is myself as a guitar player. Right, okay. There's like the planet of Corey, the guitar player. There is a planet of Corey, the band leader. And then there's this other one of Corey, just the general artist. Or maybe that's the sun. That's the sun. That's the star that the other planets are going around. Is is Corey? Corey the artist is the star, and then there's Corey the producer, Corey the guitar player, Corey the songwriter, Corey the band leader. These are planets that orbit that sun. Okay. You know, and I I guess I I think about my artistry first and foremost, and where I want to go, and how I'm feeling, and that's going to affect the way that the planets rotate around. You know. And and what gets pulled closer, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And yeah. I think in a lot of ways, I I will go visit the guitar planet for a while and just sit there and try to find, you know, I found my voice on the instrument. I found a thing. Yeah. But I, I don't want to just sit in it. You know, I, I continue to develop it and I continue to hone in different ways of 
of of being recognizable on my instrument. And I know there's certain things that I can do and immediately it's like, oh, that's Corey. Yeah. But I'm trying to f- expand what that is and what that means. And um, I, yeah, so I, I think my artistic vision is always the thing that I'm nurturing. I'm always thinking about ideas of where to go or what to do or what kind of thing to sit in. Like, do I play three minute songs on my record and then use those as vehicles for exploration live. So then the live versions are seven to 12, 15, 20 minutes sometimes. And, but the record version is four minutes. It kind of like DMB, you know, you'll go see DMB play a hit song that was on the radio. And then they just jam on it for seven minutes, which by the way, I saw Maroon 5 do that back in 2004. After right after songs about Jane came out, they would just play these hit songs and then just jam for like seven minutes on the song. Well, James told me that they, when they were first starting in that band, that they they used to go see Fish all the time. Yes. Yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah, they're they're all total musos too. So, you know, it's like, do you have? For me, I have those as as reference points or blueprints. Like, oh yeah, you can write songs and then jam on them live. Or do I try to explore? the the live in the room soloing thing now and I, I i'm exploring different things so like on this last record that i just put out the lucky one it was more of a this is a studio album and i'm going to do guitar solos and i'm going to determine ahead of time how long those solos are okay and i'm i'm gonna a couple of them were more composed but a couple of them are just like let's just see where it goes for sure let's just see i'm gonna do a few takes and it's like oh wow that one was great done you know, and then that sort of thing. So the I, I will try to think of a vision for something, but the what last few records. Like? What does that look like when you're coming up with a vision? Are you just sitting in your studio? Are you, you, you are, does it just come to you when you're driving? It was probably different all the time. The fortunate and unfortunate thing is that I have a hard time turning my brain off. Me too, man. I have a hard yeah. time calendarizing all these things. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of the hardest thing is to actually get all these things on a calendar and make them, you know, from, yes. I call it from mind to Spotify or from yeah. mind to calendar because you kind of yeah. have this internal world creation and then something happens and then all of a sudden, a couple months later, you're looking at it or listening to it from your iPhone 14. Yeah. You know, and it's like, how do you go about, because you, know, you do a lot, you do, you have content that you do that's really thought out. You have, your show, which is just a vehicle onto its own accord. You have all these records you're putting out. Are you pl- like, how do you go about developing all these ideas and like actually organizing them? And in, because in, that's a lot to do. Plus, you're also a father. Like, you <laughs> yeah. kids, like, it's like, it, how, what, what's the deal? Are you very calendar oriented? Or are you organizing all these things and spending time like, oh, Today I'm thinking about the record. I'm going to spend six hours doing that. Like, what does that look like abstractly? Two parts of that. Great. The main one, the more tactical one, is I have a very good to-do list system that keeps me in check. Where is it, uh, was it a? Uh, it was it's inspired by David Allen, the Getting Things Done. I have read that. I don't remember if this is inspired. I read that years ago. Yeah. This is more just like okay, I'll look at it now. So today, this tells me, here's the things I need to get done today. Okay. I will get those things done today because this list tells me these have to be done today. Right. Like, I I have to interview Daniel Donato today. That's not happening on a different day because it's scheduled, right? Yeah. And there's, there's a handful of things that are my to-do list for today. There's some things that are like, you got to get it done within the next week. And then what? there's, here's things that need to get done in the next month. I have a good to-do list and I also have a great team around me. So I have people that will help me with certain things or I have, you know, things that I can delegate elsewhere. But then also as far as mind to calendar, even just getting it from my mind onto the to-do list, some of that comes from, I get these ideas that I'm super stoked about in my head. They'll ruminate for a while and they'll stay excited or I'll stay excited about it. And then I'll, I'll give the ideas off to my friends like, dude, what do you think about this? And if people give me energy back on it, right? Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. I'll maybe talk to somebody else about it who has a different sort of 
way of thinking, if they're also stoked about the idea and my managers like, okay, yes, I'm doing this. Where sometimes I'll have this idea in my head and I think it's so great. And I'll talk to people and they're like, dude, that's, that's stupid. Or like, I, I, I don't know. But that's okay too. Sometimes yes. people, that's fine too. Sometimes people don't get the vision until they see it externally, yes. you know? But they them questioning it forces me to question it in a different oh. way. In the same way where I'm in the car with my band and it's like, hey, check out the new mixes for the album. Like I'm, these aren't done being mixed. But as soon as I turn it on in the car and other people are there listening, I'm like, oh, shoot, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is, you know, it forces you to question yourself and things in a different way. So having a good sounding board and an inner circle of people around helps me question my ideas in a different way. And being around creative people all the time, especially within the Wolfpack community, we're always pushing our creativity. We're, we're trying to, in, in the most healthy and, and symbiotic way, we're trying to one-up each other's creativity. We're trying to push each other to be more creative. And I think being in that energy just constantly helps us to, to come with our best ideas and keep coming up with more. And, oh, that idea is great. Hmm, well, what if my take on it is, do, 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 Okay, now, well, if I take that and I go, do, 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 and I develop it this way and then turn left here, all of a sudden it's a completely new idea. And that sort of community around, really, we're pushing each other constantly. And that's where those ideas just keep coming from is because I have people I'm pushing and they're pushing me and we're questioning each other. And then it's just, okay, now let's put it on the to-do list. Oh man. Wolfpack is for, for when, when I, you know, I'm part of the, the generation that all of my information was endowed via YouTube. And, yeah. uh, you know, um, the gift that Wolfpack gave to everybody, my age and um, I, I can only speak for myself, but people around my ages is that it's, it is a band, but it's, it's more or less a, it's a collection of individuals that are all completely whole on their own accord, mm -hmm. you know, and they are all a channel that are creating their own things. Joe's mm -hmm. creating his own things. Jack's creating his own things. You're creating your own things. Like when you came in, you were, it was a whole different thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that is, I think that that model, I don't, it probably wasn't by design that you guys were doing that, but that's the model now. It's sure. like, that's the thing with Cosmic Country too, is Nathan puts out records, Will puts out records, you know, I, we, we put out records as a band, you know, it's like yeah. everybody's doing their own thing on some level where you can tune into to what it is that they're doing, but then there's a collective output as well. And, and the value of that is that you have this great sounding board of people that you can run ideas by. Okay, so that makes sense. And I guess you just, so you organize it and it sounds like you have concentric circles of when things need to get done. So you'll start on the today things, then you'll work on this week things, then you work on the more macro stuff. And then it probably just yeah. falls into place, huh? Totally. And I, I also think project-based. So I'm- I can I'm tell, go, right. Yeah. So, all right, here's the, I work backwards. Here's when this kind of release date thing will work. Moving target, but we'll just say, here's a release date. Okay, here's when the final deliverables need to be handed in yep. leading up to that release date. Okay, let's move backwards. How much time do I need to get those deliverables set? Okay, and then I work backwards on, all right, here's when I need to start writing. Here's when the sessions need to happen. Right. Or they just kind of happen yeah. and it gradually goes. Like my last record, I didn't have a going into the studio for three weeks thing. It was just like, uh, the record was kind of being made over the course of a few months on and off tour. And then, but here's when it has to be turned in by, you know? So it's like, okay, I recorded 17, 18 songs and I chose the 12 best that worked for the album. And all right, by the time the day comes to deliver the songs, I need to have decided which are the 12 I mean, I could have put them all out, but it felt like, eh, this feels like the right amount. And I, I just chose 12 songs and that felt like a complete project. Boom, turn it in. And then the rest of it just kind of goes into motion, you know? I see. And you also, so you also trust your intuition and your imagination, which is in my universe, I would say the sun, the, the uh, 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 kind of the first source and center of, uh, of which all the energy that's omitted and everything's born from is... It's less part of me as a, is in, is my imagination. It kind of mm. seems like that's it for you too, on some level, where it's sure. Corey the artist, but it's like it's really like this a, a marvelous imagination that you have, and you're able to 
see yourself in these different roles and actually bring them into form. Okay, man, that's a that's a fantastic answer, and, and thank you for that. It's very inspiring. That's yeah. good because I'm kind of overwhelmed on some level because we just did our 90th show of the year last night here in Aspen, Colorado. Yeah, and I have a hard time organizing everything. Uh, mm. I don't have a hard time coming up with the ideas and my brain is yeah. always on learning songs, thinking about lyrics, thinking about ideas, but I have a hard time organizing it all. And it, it sounds like the key thing that I took away from you there is you organize things based off, you start at the end, which is absolutely correct. That makes sense. And then you also have like concentric circles of time that, mm-hmm. that you operate in and you delegate to a team that you trust. Yeah, have faith in. Yeah, that's it. Makes sense, man. It sounds like it's not like you're re- you're not reinventing the wheel in any way. <laughs> totally. And then the other thing is like some of those ideas where you don't have a project to put them in, just find some bucket to put them in. Whether well, it be in your media. mind, yeah, yes. Whether it be a social media thing or whether it be like I have a a bunch of demos on my phone that are videos or voice memos that it's just like acoustic album idea. I don't have any plans for an acoustic album right now, but at some point I will. And these ideas, I had them. Ah, what do I do with it? Just put it in that bucket. It doesn't matter if you have a project in mind, just put it in that bucket. Or here's, you know, ideas for the next Fearless Flyers album. Ideas that could be good for Wolfpack. Boom. And then at some point on an airplane, I'm going to open up the folder, look at it and be like, oh, actually, this thing that I thought was a cool acoustic idea actually could be something cool for the next just Fearless Flyers album or something, which has happened a couple times. And then, you know, as long as I have somewhere to place it, then I feel like I can close the loop on that part of my imagination rather than feeling like, ah, this idea is running wild. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know where to like, uh, and then it kind of creates this anxiety where now I can just kind of say, okay, here's this idea. Let's capture that. Let's not forget about it. So when it does come time to, Hey, we need to sit down for six hours and work on the record. Right. Oh, well, I'm not I'm not inspired today. Okay, that's fine. Let's look back to a time when you were inspired and see if we can kick that back up again. Yes, brother. It's like that uh I forget that game that they play in Harry Potter, but the, it's like the Quidditch or whatever it is where Quidditch. they catch Yeah, and they catch the thing. And the, it, that's what an idea feels like to me. And if it's sure. if you don't have it encased into some sort of a form to where yeah. it's meaning it's just flying all over the place and it can hit you in the face, you know, and it, it can hurt really bad and you can make you anxious and, because it's, it, it's not contained. Okay. Yeah. So you're also storing abstract ideas into a, to a somewhat regimented domain. So that's something I'm always curious about is how, how do creatives, whether it's music, artists, visual, whatever it is, how do you guys deal with chaos and order? Because chaos is 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 a, a key variable in the act of creation, you know. Totally. So you have a very orderly, harmonious way of about going about things, man. I really admire that about you, and, and always have. So, thank you for answering that. That really helps. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Uh, one last thing before we go. Yeah. I love asking this question. Yeah, for sure. About gear, because we yeah. got it. We didn't really get into gear talk. Yeah. Three things. Three things essential pieces of gear for well uh, let's just say for any guitar player you, there's there's three different things i'm going to ask you what is an essential piece of gear that's $25 or less what's an essential piece of gear that's 200 ish or less and what is something that you suggest everybody get if there is no worry about money at all involved okay or what do you got to have I guess you could you could frame it either way. I like that. I like those three tiers of, of importance. So on the $25 one, um, I would say find a guitar pick that you really find expression in. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've all been to Nam. We've all seen the guy <laughs> who has the um Fruit of Loom XL t-shirt with his uh with his pick company's name on it, and he's like handing out different kinds of picks, you know. And uh you know, I, you get certain ones where you're like, man, I'm never going to use this. You know, yeah. I don't need it to be shaped like a like a hexagon in order to play my pentatonic scale as well. But I would say, you know, you find a pick that works well for you. I like to use these uh, gravity picks yeah. that are in the shape of a uh, Jazz 3, and they're a little bit yep. thicker. Um, this is a signature one cool. that we do for Cosmic Country, and I think they're just fantastic. They're made of acrylic, so they kind of have a fantastic 
quality that especially when recording other picks don't have and they're five dollars a piece mm-hmm. um so you uh maybe given sales tax maybe you get three of these now you're 25 dollars <laughs> yeah <laughs> um under the 200 dollars um, I would say get you get you uh, two Mogami cables that are you know ten to twenty feet in length. I think uh, a good clean cable is immense. The way I grew up playing gigs was very much that of almost a bluegrass approach to things, where you don't have a lot going on in the signal chain as much as you have a lot going on in the source. Sure. You have a great guitar and you have a great cable and you have a great amp and you have a great pick and you have a great technique and you might not even need a pedal board to do the gig. Yeah. Um, and if you need a pedal board to do the gig as opposed to want one, it's probably an issue on some level, yeah. you know? Uh, <laughs> you yeah. Know. Uh, so I would say I've always used Mogami cables. I think they're just amazing and they never, mm-hmm. they really never break and they sound different, man. Uh, they really do. They sound and great. They, yeah. Yeah. And, and so and then the, I would say the thing that um, if budget's not so much of a concern is I just love a blackface Fender amp. Those mm-hmm. are my favorite amps. I That's what I use on stage with Cosmic Country. It's what I use in the studio. It's If I'm ever sitting in on a gig or, or an event of some kind where it's like a, a super jam, you know, I'm, I'm at least backlining a, uh, a homogenized version of what a blackface amp is like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say those things... And the reason why I say the blackface amp is I, I think there's such a genius in the circuitry of that um, design that Leo Fender made that if you're a guitar player, it's just a brilliant canvas for the expression of your personality. There's sure. really nothing getting in the way, and there's nothing that's really uh, hiding any of your mistakes from you. It's very honest. Yeah. Uh, so I would I would say those are my three things, at least today. Who knows what it'll be a couple of years. But. Yeah, I love it. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us, man. It's it's great. I know you're on tour right now. I appreciate you hanging. For those that those that are listening, go check out Daniel on tour. If you've never seen the live show, you got to check it out. It's really fun. Thank you, brother. I know you're going on tour pretty soon. You're going to Europe soon, right? Yeah, I'm going tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoy it, man. It's I hope you have a great. good uh, day with your family before you go to Europe. And I hope all that goes very well. And this was such an honor. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for hanging. There you have it. Daniel Donato. What a nice dude. Guy's great. I love him. Great guy. If you're not familiar with his music, go check it out right now. And also, when you're in the checking out music mood, check out my new record. I got a new album out that I'm super stoked about. A lot of guitar stuff. This is the most guitar solos I've ever put on an album. Imagine that. Most guitar solos I've ever had on an album. And guess what? Premier Guitar Magazine put me on the cover because of it. (laughs) How about that? They seemed to like the guitar playing. So uh, I appreciate that. That's that's pretty cool. Anyway, thanks for hanging with us today. I hope you love playing the guitar as much as I do. I hope you're excited about the guitar as much as I do. I assume if you've made it this far, you probably are. So we'll see you next time. The rest of this season, I got more guitar players that are absolutely fantastic. You're not going to want to miss it. Smash that subscribe, follow, whatever it is on the platform you listen on. We'll see you next time. Peace! Peace.